As you know, Pastor Clint is on a journey, and this morning we're blessed to hear Pastor Norm Howell. He's going to bring a message from the Word to us this morning. Pastor Norm, he's been in missions for a lot of years. He served in Papua New Guinea for eight years, and he was just telling me this this morning. Since then, he's been all over the world. He's been in 30 countries. That's quite a bit. He's involved in, in leadership and uh, in church planting in various places, and I guess he just got back from El Salvador just recently. So let's uh, welcome Norm this morning. Well, good morning, church. It is a joy to be here. Uh, So excited about uh, the opportunities again to share with the Hope Church. And um, I met your pastor on a mission trip in the Philippines. Uh, Both of us mutually uh, involved with uh, training uh, unreached people groups, uh, pastors, leaders uh, working with unreached people groups in the Philippines. And so um, that was pretty exciting. Um, And that was my first time to meet your pastor. We actually flew all the way over there, and he was about four rows behind me. I didn't know who he was, but I just thought he was following me from St. Louis all the way to the Philippines. And then once we got there, I realized who he was. And on our way back then, we were on the same flight, same schedule, and got in at the same time. And so it was exciting um, to be able to be there. And I just I thank him for the invitation as we got to talking and sharing He said, I'd like for you to come, and are there some dates that you could uh, work out where you'd be able to come speak to our church? And so uh, I'm excited about that, and so I've been following him on Facebook as he's been traveling to Alaska and back, and um, um, praying for him, excited about what God's doing in his life also. This morning I'm going to be speaking uh, about something that most of us have really never experienced firsthand, or, or if we have, it's, it's been in a mild way. Now, I don't know all of your lives. I don't know where you've been uh, in your journey with Jesus, but um, I'm talking about the persecuted church, and I think a lot of our um, Western churches uh, are not as familiar with, uh, with that thought. We hear about it, but not in the details of what we've, uh, what we've seen. I I knew very little about that in my younger years when I, before I went into mission work. And um, even after I came back from living overseas in the jungles of New Guinea, um, by the way, my wife Karen is here with me, and she's been a real trooper over the years. And we raised our kids in the jungle uh, in Papua New Guinea, um, raised them in the sense of uh, from, I think our daughter was about nine years old, Uh, or 10 years old, and our son was um, 11 or 12 uh, when we first went there, and then they went all their teen years um, in New Guinea. And, um, but uh, the only way in and out of our area was by a helicopter. There were no roads, there was no electricity, no doctors, no dentists, no nothing. No churches, no Bibles, no written language. It was an unreached people group that had no exposure to, or had limited exposure to an outside world. And so uh, even after coming back from being involved with that, it wasn't until uh, I started making some trips into um, Eastern Europe that I started realizing how serious the situation was. And it was at a time in about 19, uh, or is, is in a time in 2006, 20, when uh, I was on a trip in Romania and working in Romania was, uh, was kind of new to me at that particular time. Since then, I've made many trips to Romania. But uh, I was by myself for some reason that, uh, that day with, a transla- uh, with just a driver. He couldn't speak English. I couldn't speak Romanian. So we smiled a lot at each other and shook our heads, and we, we just went on. But I remember getting into a place really late up into the mountains. Um, it was uh, probably 1 or 2 o'clock in the, in the evening. And uh, I was very tired, um, and so uh, I didn't even know where we were. And so uh, when I got there, they knocked on the door. Everything was dark. There was nothing, uh, no lights of any kind. So we went into this um, uh, place. The next morning at about 8 o'clock, I hear a knock on my door, and uh, I opened the door. I, I was still yet asleep and <laughs> opened the door, and, and someone said to me, Pastor Norm, um, you're going to be speaking in about 10 minutes. I didn't even know I was going to be speaking. 
Uh, I didn't, I said, well, where am I? I don't even, I, I didn't, I, I, you know, well, can you speak in about 10 minutes? Yes, I can speak in 10 minutes. And it's one of those prayers, you know, that you just really say, okay, God, I need, uh, I need you, um, you know, uh, fill me with worthwhile stuff and nudge me when I've said enough uh, and give me that kind of an insight as to what I need to do here. I found out that it was the Precept Ministries International Training Center. And um, if you're familiar with Precept Ministries and that work, it's tremendous Bible study work, but it was in an international level. And uh, the group of people that I was uh, working with were all of those that were from some kind of a different stand, Pakistan, Kirkmenistan, Turkestan, I mean, all of these kind of places um, around the world. They were believers that were from persecuted churches. And uh, as I'm sitting, thinking, uh, I'm looking at this group of people, there were couples and the room was filled full of these couples that had been brought in from all around the world. And uh, the translator leaned up to me and said to me, now, uh, you know that probably in two years or so, most of these people will be dead. I'm thinking, are you, are you serious? And he said, they're in restricted countries where it's illegal for them to have a Bible, where it's illegal for them to take part and any kind of a church service, witnessing, sharing, anything of any sort. But they've been saved, and they're, they're evangelists and church planters, and their husbands and wives going out into some of the most difficult places. I'm thinking, oh Lord, how could I ever speak something to them? I can't even remember what I shared with them that morning. But when I got done uh, sharing with them from the word, I, uh, they said, well, we want to pray for you. Now, it was kind of an unusual setting because there was about uh, 10 different language groups there. And so when I would say something in English, the translator uh, translated to Romanian and from Romanian to Russian and from Russian to Turkmenistan and from Turkmenistan, to, and it just went on. And so I had lots of time to think what I was going to say next by the time it was all done. But when they got through, they said, uh, we want to pray for you. And so these persecuted church leaders gathered around me and they laid their hands on me. I asked the translator, I said, tell me, tell me what they're saying. And as they were praying, there was only one prayer request. They said this, when Brother Norm goes back, use him, God, to tell the churches in the United States and in the Western world to pray for us. And since that time, I have been speaking on many mission type things and many conferences and many places, but that is one thing that I have done uh, in many, many places is just shared the truths of the persecuted church because I met them personally. Now, I, I have uh, two passages of scripture I want to read to you, and if you would, would you stand with me? I just want to Read in honor of the Word of God. I'm going to be reading from an um, English Standard Version, an ESV. And I know that many of you may have a um, New International or another, but th that's what I'm going to be using uh, this morning as I look at this passage of Scripture. And uh, the first passage of Scripture is taken from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. And it says this, it says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are, are in the body. Now those are some powerful words. Remember those who are in prison. They're not in prison because they broke the law in stealing something or they've, uh, or, or they've uh, vandalized something. They're in prison because they're believers. And God, through his word, has ordained that we would, we would have those words as a prayer request. And then the second passage of scripture is taken, and this is where I want to focus this morning uh, as I share some from the word uh, about the persecuted church. And it's taken from Matthew chapter 5. And you're probably familiar with this because those first few verses 
deal with the Beatitudes and the blessings, but I want you to notice as we pick up in verse 10 what it says here. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray again. Father, in the name of Jesus, may you be honored and may our ears be opened and our hearts open to respond in obedience to what your word has to say. Help us, Father, to never forget the persecuted church around the world. And Father, it could be that in the very near future, even in our own country, we'll be dealing with some of the same things. Prepare our hearts for what you have in store for us. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. The people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. What a great passage of scripture. I just want to point out some things to you. I'm going to walk through just a little bit of stuff here. We've got a lot of ground to cover in a short time, and I want to do that and just really help you to see the world as it really is, not just the world here in the St. Louis area, Missouri, or the Central America. But between the Roman Emperor Nero in AD 54 and the Roman Emperor uh, Diocletian in AD 305, over 5 million Christians were killed in that 250-year period. Over 5 million Christians. Now, we know from church history some of those kind of things. Tertullian uh, had, uh, had written in uh, AD 197 that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And I want to tell you that still today, those truths are very, very uh, truthful. And uh, it hasn't changed very much because in certain countries, say like in Iran or other places where Christians are being persecuted and put to death uh, on a massive scale, uh, we find that the more that they kill them, the more people come to know Christ through that. And I can share some personal uh, stories with you about that, and I will in just a little bit. Uh, maybe you've seen this symbol before. Some of you, for some of you, it will be a new, uh, a new thing. But imagine waking up one morning to find a red spray-painted, as what you can see on the screen there, just a red spray-painted symbol on the front of your house identifying you as a Christian. That letter is the 14th letter of the Arabic um, alphabet, and it's pronounced noon, N-O-O-N. And it's the N, and, uh, and it was placed on the homes of believers in Iraq, and Syria, and uh, in that part of the world where there were Christians, they would paint this on the outside just like they did during World War II when they would go through and they would paint the Star of David on a home showing where the Jewish people lived and made them then wear bands that identified them as Jews and they were heavily persecuted, many of them put to death. And so the same type of thing took place. Now, when that sign was put on that house, it, it gave them three options. You either convert to Islam or you, or you pay tax to Islam or you, you leave or die. If you stay, you're going to die. And when you leave, you don't take anything with you. It's not like you get a U-Haul and you load up. No, you leave with nothing. When you walk out of here, you walk out of here, you leave everything. Your house, your property, everything you have, any funds, finances of any sort, it stays right here and it's sorted out and given then among those that are there. That's happened. It's happened in many countries around the world. Um, maybe not with the letter uh, N of the Arabic alphabet, but uh, in many different ways. Uh, every month, thousands of Christians are killed uh, for their faith. And uh, when, I, uh, when I think about that, I, I, I think about the fact that um, uh, over, over 900,000 Christians have been, it, it's estimated to have been martyred in the past 10 years. 900,000. That's 100,000 a year or so. And um, 
somewhere in our world. Now, we're not hearing that being reported, and it's even hard to get the facts on these things because in many of these countries, this kind of stuff is not put out. Just mass killings of every, every kind. In some places, some things are smuggled out. The word that is used for persecuted means to pursue or to chase after like a wild animal. And it conveys the idea of somebody relentlessly hunted down uh, or driven away from their homes, from their families, and so forth. And uh, every day in 2021, it was reported and documented as facts uh, that at least just with documented facts of knowing that this has happened, 16 believers were killed for the following, uh, every day uh, uh, for following Jesus. And um, when you look at the facts and you look at these kind of things, it's hard for us sometimes to even imagine this kind of stuff taking place. Hundreds of churches and properties are continuously being destroyed. That's going on right now. That's happening major in a couple countries that I've been in, one of them being Nigeria. I was in Nigeria at a time working with the Fulani people, and it's the Fulani people who are, who are uh, Islamic uh, um, extremists that are killing all of the Christians, kidnapping uh, boys and girls from their homes. They would go into a village, uh, and they would, uh, they would uh, go into this village and completely... Uh, kill all of the adults, take the girls uh, anywhere from the age of uh, from seven, eight years old all the way up to maybe in their 30s. And those girls became prostitutes for Islamic militant people. There was at a time where 400 of, 400 of these girls were taken. And uh, little by little, they, some of them were released. Many of them were never released. Here's a report that came out last year from China that our churches are demolished, our homes are raided, our pastors are arrested, many of them never to be found again, never to be heard of again. The Christians remain faithful to the Lord. It's amazing to, to, to see those kind of things and to witness those kind of things uh, and realize that um, the faithfulness, and that's what I found in working in Nigeria or being uh, working even in the Philippines just, just recently to hear the testimonies of these people who go out and work in areas where if they're a believer and they share their faith of any kind, have anything to do with the cross, have a church, have a Bible, uh, witness to anyone, then bad things can happen to them. And thousands of forms of violence are committed against Christians each month. Beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, uh, forced, um, forced marriages. What happened in Nigeria, I worked with a number of Fulani believers who had come to know Christ. And uh, when they come to know Christ and their family members found out about it, their wives and children were taken away from them. Many of these guys, they lost everything because they became a believer. Their wives were forced to marry some of the strictest Muslims, and their children were taken and placed in strong Islamic schools where they would be indoctrinated with Islam. And so these are not fake reports. These are true reports of what's happening with the underground church. Now, I want to remind you again what the author of Hebrews said. Remember those who are in prison. And then those next words are pretty, pretty hard, as though you were in prison with them. We're talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ, that one day when we get to heaven, we'll be with them. We're talking about those who are, have placed their faith and their trust in Christ and are faithful even unto death. There was a report that came out of the underground church in Iran, and um, there was a man by the name of Saeed, and he was trained by Hezbollah to be a suicide bomber. Someone shared the gospel with him, and he gave his life then to the Lord Jesus. He became a fervent evangelist, and he would go all over in different places um, helping, and helping to start house churches, underground house churches. Well, they eventually found out who he was, and he was put in the notorious 
Avon prison in Tehran. He's been in this prison for many, many years now. He was tortured mercy, mer mercilessly uh, numerous times, but refused to deny his Lord. He said, I believe despite all these hardships, I will stand strong for the Lord. When uh, a letter was sent out, smuggled out from the prison, and um, I thought I had a copy of that letter for you. Let me just read it to you. Prison is a test of faith. These walls have created more fervor for me to love others through sharing the gospel. But more than that, the walls have deepened my love for my Savior. I feel the prayers of all who are praying for me. Smuggled out from a prison in Iran of a believer. Yes, there's a, a lot of things that we are dealing with. Well, let me, let me just um, walk through some passages here as we look at this from Matthew chapter 5, because these are the words that Jesus gave early on in his ministry to the, to the followers that would follow him, who became the disciples, and not only the 12 disciples, but the apostles, which the church is built upon the foundation of the teaching of the apostles. And so this is what was taught to them. Why are believers persecuted? First of all, because of the life that they live. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For those who have placed their faith in Christ, they see his word and they live in obedience to that. And as the scriptures teach us in John's gospel, that men love darkness rather than light. And in the world that you and I are living in, when we see those anti-Christian slogans or even people who oppose what we stand for as a believer in Christ, it's because of who we are living for, the life that we live. And it is not an acceptable thing around the world. Second of all, you'll find it's because of their love for the Lord. Notice also in this verse, it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Because you are living for him, you have such a passion and a devotion for him, and the persecution will come. Now, when we look at this in these passages, how are the believers persecuted? Well, you'll notice there in, in verse uh, 11 and uh, chapter 5, uh, first of all, it's through verbal, verbal insults. Blessed are you when they revile you. It means to, to insult you, to chide, to, to, to make fun of you, to laugh at you. And, there, and maybe that's a form of what has happened to you. If you stand up for Jesus uh, in the workplace, what did you do yesterday morning? Uh, oh, I went to the lake. What did you do? Well, I was at church. Are you kidding me? Church? Or they find out that you, you're, you're going to some special event that's a Christian-based event, and people may mock you and they may laugh at you. That may happen to us. I've had that happen to me at different times. A second way that you'll find is that they were physically attacked. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. And that means to be chased and to be pursued with hostile intent. Just like an animal that was being hunted. I'm reminded of, again, being in, uh, in Nigeria and, uh, and seeing uh, some of, some of uh, what was taking place there with people being killed and uh, persecuted. This particular guy was killed, a number, all of the, all of the men uh, and the boys in his uh, village were killed. And then for him, they took and placed a Bible on his back as a reminder, this is what's going to happen to you. If you physically follow Jesus and you're doing those kind of things, then that, this, is, this is what you have to look forward to as a Christian. Because you see, the Bible is illegal. When I was in Turkey working uh, in those particular areas, at one time, the whole area there, that's where the 
church of Ephesus was from, the church of Smyrna, the seven churches in Revelation, and many other numerous churches were in that modern-day Turkey area. Istanbul uh, used to be called Constantinople, but all of that was changed when Islam came in. And what used to have 5,000 plus churches and Christianity was spreading everywhere for the last 300 years or so. It's been silenced. And now, when I went to churches, I literally saw with my own eyes padlocks on old church buildings and signs that said, it's forbidden for you to enter into these places. And so... Uh, we, we find those kind of things. It happens. But I can tell you that there are many, many groups of people around the world who are smuggling in Bibles at any cost in many different places. I'll never forget being in the, near the Iraqi border. And I was with um, some missionaries there working with the uh, Kurdish people. And uh, we had in our vehicle a number of Bibles in the, in the Kurmanji language. The Kurdish people speak five different languages. And uh, one, of those, uh, one of those languages is the Kurmanji. And there's about, uh, there's about 20 million of them that lived in that particular area. The, the, um, the Kurdish people are the only people group in the world that would be 30 million people that don't have a country of their own. After World War II, their country was taken away from them. And they were merged into about three or four different countries, Iran uh, and Syria and Iraq and uh, Turkey and so forth. All of those right in there. And so we had these Bibles with us. We were meeting in a back room with a few business people there. And uh, we were going to give them some Bibles when... Uh, a man showed up there, and at first he didn't know who he was. He came, came walking in there. He was dressed in a suit. Um, we were kind of surprised at uh, who he was. No one seemed to know who he was. He got up. He left, and uh, before long, uh, the military police came in. Um, they took each one of us out individually, asked for our passports. We, uh, we, we went over. We gave them our passports, and I'll never forget the leader of the group, he come to me. I mean, he was this close. He was right in my face. I mean, he needed a breath mat. <laughs> he was right there. And he said to me, we don't want you here. We don't like you being here. Get out of our country. And I'm thinking, while he's talking to me, because they went to our vehicle and they started searching the vehicle. And inside of our vehicle in the back were Bibles. Bibles that had been smuggled in. We didn't smuggle them in. They had been smuggled in. We were distributing them. I had four deacons with me, from the, uh, three of them from the St. Louis area. No, two of them from the St. Louis area. First Baptist Church, Arnold, Missouri. And then down um, uh, in South County somewhere, um, a deacon. And then I had two from up in Jeff City. No preachers with me. It's just the five of us, uh, four deacons and myself. And as we were going through this, I'm thinking, they're going to arrest us. We may end up in prison. Or, or at least maybe they would take us back to Istanbul, put us on a plane and say, you'll never be in our country again. And so, um, by God's grace... As they were searching our vehicle, they only searched the stuff on the top, which were our suitcases. They didn't search the lower area of that, which had boxes of Bibles. It also had uh, DVDs of what a Kurdish house church would look like. It had a Kurdish worship service where they're singing Christian songs in the Kurdish language. Everything was culturally relevant for starting a church there. And so when we got in the vehicle and we started to leave, we got outside of town and I told these four guys, I said, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know that they're finished with this yet. And one of the men was weeping. 
I thought he's probably scared to death and he'll never go again. And I reached back and touched his leg and I said, it's going to be all right. And he said, I said, don't, it's going to be all right. Don't be so fretful. And he said, I'm not, I'm not afraid. He said, this is what my heart is so concerned about, the lostness. That in this area, there's not one believer that we know out of hundreds of thousands of people. No Bibles and no churches. Well, we did make it out of there. As you can see, I'm here. But I I do want to tell you that uh, smuggling the Bibles in is taking place all, all over in many, many different places. In China, in Russia still today. And also in places like Cambodia, in different areas of Thailand, and in India, in different places. And Richard Wormbrandt, who was the founder of The Voice of the Martyrs, just Google that, and that's a great website for you if you want to stay familiar with what's going on around the world. He said, if you're not willing to die for what is in the Bible, um, he said, if you are not willing to die for what is in the Bible, you should, you should not give money for Bibles. Because if you give, we will smuggle more Bibles And if we smuggle more Bibles, there will be more martyrs. And it's so true. Let me me just say that third thing that you'll find in this passage of Scripture uh, that's very important for us to look at is that they were falsely accused. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for uh, on my account. And I want to tell you that I've seen that happen many in many different countries is that the believers are falsely accused of any kind of thing that takes place there. It's always, it's the Christians. It's those Christians that are here. If we can eliminate the Christians, if we can get rid of the Christians, it would be all right. And then as a result, they're, they're forced and put in prisons. Some of them, I just read the article um, uh, this week of the guy that was has been in prison for um, seventy no, for seven thousand days. If you Google that one, seven thousand days. How many? What what is that? Seven thousand days. That's almost twenty years. And his prison cell is a metal container. And he's lived in that metal container. His crime, he was a believer in Jesus. And he was sharing the gospel with someone. And just recently, there has been a big push to try to get him, I believe it was in Sudan that he lived, um, to get him released. They did release a number of Christians, but they did not, they refused to release him. And so these kind of things continuously go on. And so um, we see that. I mean, there's up-to-date things all the time that's coming out, different places, uh, Christians being killed, people being persecuted, uh, those kind of things. You just have to be, if it's not on your radar screen, many of our churches aren't aware that these kind of things are going on. Uh, They're happening. I can tell you that you're supporting your work in the Philippines. That's exactly what's happening to many of them there. When we were there this, um, this past March, we found out that in the uh, island of Mindanao, they were trying to get the Sharia law completely placed in Mindanao. If that happens, then that is one of the largest islands there. And all forms of Christianity of any kind uh, will be eliminated. And what few churches are left on those areas will be, um, will be um, destroyed. But you're supporting national, national leaders who are working in Mindanao with unreached people groups. And so is my church. And so these things are a part of the world that you and I are living in. And so why does God allow these kind of things to happen? Well, first of all, persecution is to be expected as a normal part of our Christian life. Maybe in the time span that you've been here in the United States, maybe you haven't seen that. 
Maybe we haven't. We've been very fortunate. We've been blessed because our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values. And because of those values, we've had within our laws some moral guidelines where there was a freedom of religion and it was protected. But little by little by little, those kind of things are being uh, taken, taken away from us. Uh, but persecution, according to the scriptures, has always been something that believers were to expect that was going to take part as a normal part of the Christian life. John 15, 20, in Jesus' words, remember the words that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Uh, if, they, if, you, if they keep my words, they will also keep yours also. And so the early church, there was a couple things that for sure, for certain the early church followed. One was they had a clear understanding of the sovereignty of God. God is in control of all things. There's not anything going on in your life that God uh, is, is not in control. He's not, he's not aware of. He's a sovereign God. Let me say that. He's aware of what's going on. Nothing happening to you uh, does God have to say, oh my goodness, let's call uh, a, a meeting in heaven and what are we going to do? I didn't know this was going to happen. None of that ever happens with God. He's a sovereign God. The second thing is that the early church viewed suffering for Christ as a privilege, not as a problem. They expected it because Jesus taught it. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, the Bible says there that, that the apostles, it says, Then they departed the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor, for his name. And so we see that. And so uh, we're told in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. I've got this little picture here because, again, it's a little boy in Nigeria, and, um, and his parents were killed. And then they gathered up all of the Bibles, and they took the Bibles and they, and they put them in a pile and they put... Uh, uh, some kind of a liquid on them to burn the Bibles. And the little boy reaches in and he grabs his daddy's Bibles and he pulls them out burning his hands and pulls it, puts the fire out and pulls it to his chest. And he says, this is the word of God. And so they took the little boy and put him in the fire. I wished I could tell you that these things were not true. But they're true. I don't know how you value the word of God in your life. But I've worked among peoples who don't have a Bible. And lived and, and worked uh, with uh, different groups of people who had no exposure, no way of even getting a Bible. And yet God has blessed us with multiple versions of the Bible in English. And we forget all about it. Years ago in our church history, taken from 1530, the Augsburg Confession defines the church as the community of those who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel's sake. See, our history is rich as Christians. It's just that in the day that we're living, we, we will do anything to get around that, to, uh, to, not, to not deal with that. And so if we can push those thoughts out of our mind and push them away, uh, that's what we would do. I'm reminded of what Warren Worsby says, a pastor and author. Um, he said, there is a brand of Christianity today that seems unlike the kind that Jesus spoke about in the gospel and that Paul spoke about in the epistles. It's an easygoing, popular kind of religion that is acceptable to the world because it involves no conviction and no cross, or at least no cross, as Jesus spoke of. And I would say amen to his words because the Bible says this in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, <clears throat> all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm not saying that we should be out there saying, hey, won't you hit me? Hit me once or twice in the face. I'm not saying that. But what, I'm what I am saying to you is that around our world, there are certain things that God has allowed 
And persecution seems to be one of those things that's taking place in many, many places around our world. Persecution gives us an opportunity to grow spiritually. Paul talks about that here in the book of, uh, of Philippians in chapter 1 and verses 12 and 13. He said, my being in prison and my suffering has gone for the furtherance of the gospel. And so when we look at these kind of passages, we see the significance of those kind of things. I was with a group of uh, these, these uh, four guys are uh, Fulani uh, Christians who come to know the Lord uh, by listening to a transistor radio because it was illegal for them to have a Bible uh, in their area or to go to any kind of church. So, so every family, their, herds, their herdsmen, uh, so every family has, uh, uh, their, the men would go out and, and tend, tend the flocks and the herds during the day and they were listening to a, trans, uh, to, to a, to a little small radio. And it just so happened that one of them tuned in to... Transworld Radio, which is a Christian broadcasting company. And they trans, translated into the Fulani language and they started telling stories of Jesus. At night, this guy would go back. And when he went back to the, or sitting around the campfires, he said, hey, you know what I heard today? I heard some stories about Jesus. He started talking about that. You know what happened in a period of about four or five years? Over 6,000 Fulani people come to know Jesus because of a radio station. You think the Transworld radio station? We, we could never get into these areas. And so I uh, was given an opportunity to go into this country and to work with these people and interview them, talk to them. How did you come to know Christ? And they were telling their story. And they would show me the scars. These guys here could show scars on their arms, their legs, and so forth, of, uh, of where they'd been macheted and where they'd been cut. And all of their family was taken. Not out of the hundred or so of those that we interviewed, not one of them had a wife because all of their wives and all of their children were taken away from them and given to, to, to Muslim extremists. And I sat there among these guys and I said, I'm so sorry to hear your story. And one of them said, the guy in the white shirt in the back, I'll never forget what he said. He said, oh, Brother Norm, have you not read your Bible? The Bible says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and spurn your name as evil. I'm blessed. Brother Norm, have you not read that? When it's on account of the Son of Man. And then he says this, Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Persecution validates our relationship with Christ. We find that in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter has many, many different passages of scriptures that tell us about uh, suffering for Christ in there. It's not something outside of the Christian lifestyle. Persecution causes believers to depend upon God. As Paul says here uh, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, that uh, I, I am content with weaknesses, he says. I'm content with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. He found his source, just like so many that I've heard uh, who, when I've talked to them, would tell those kind of things. Like Kuan, who was a pastor in China, who was caught uh, teaching and preaching to his church. They took him and put him into prison. And, uh, and they put him in isolated little cells where he could not share, uh, he could not speak. And when they would hear him pr uh, praying, they said, hey... Shut up or we're going to come in there. And oftentimes they beat him. And one day he says to the guard, Guard. The guard says, Shut up. I'll come in there and beat your face off you. He said, But guard, I want to do something for you. What is it you want to do? Well, you know, we don't have any bathrooms here. And so when we go to the bathroom, it all kind of flows out of the, the cells that are lined up on both sides here. 
and it gets all over your shoes and it smells terrible. If you got me a bucket of water and some soap, I'd clean all this up for you. And every day, I would clean that up. The guard got him a bucket, got him soap, and he started cleaning it up. After about four or five years, a member of the church requested to see the pastor who had been in prison. And he sees this frail, weak-looking guy come walking up there. He thinks, who is that? And then he says, Pastor Kuan? Yes. Oh, Pastor, I'm so sorry to see you in this condition. Oh, but tell the church, I have a ministry now. A ministry? Yes. I clean all of the cells. And when I clean the cells, I'm able to talk to the people in there. Oh, and tell them, many people have come to know Jesus now. This is what I'm talking about. This is how Paul viewed those kind of things. Let me just say also that the persecuted will be rewarded. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. God hasn't forgotten one thing about them. And I want to tell you, oh, oh my, I'm telling you over the years, I've just seen so many, so many, many of these kind of things. And uh, so hard. Let me, let me uh, go to this and I'm going, I'm going to close here in just a moment, okay? Um, I, ha- I have to tell you that my wife and I worked with the underground church from Iran on a few occasions. Uh, we would bring these believers out from different villages into Turkey and they would, they would travel sometimes for a day or more to get to where we were at on buses. They'd never been together with a group of people before with other believers like this. This was the first time. There were only about 15 or 20 of them. We met in an underground bunker, silent place where we could, we could teach. We would teach for six hours a day. We would teach for two hours and take a break, or we'd teach an hour and a half or so and take a break. Teach an hour and a half, take a break. Teach an hour and a half, take a break. When we were done, they would come up to us. They would kiss our hands. They would kiss the Bible. They would kiss our cheeks. They would say, oh, could you teach us more? Could you give to us more? On one of those teaching times I taught about baptism. Taught what the meaning of baptism was. And this young girl said, I want to do everything Jesus has told me I can do. I want to be baptized. So we had to secretly, away from the others that were there, because they never knew who was an informer. But we secretly met in another building down in the basement. And this is a laundry basket, a big plastic laundry basket. And she wanted to be baptized. And so we met there. The guy in the yellow is... uh, He's an Iranian pastor whose home was destroyed. He moved to England. His home was destroyed in England. He moved to Canada. His home was destroyed in Canada. He lives in the U.S. And he was our translator. He went with us to Turkey. He can't go back to his home country. He was a pastor, an Iranian pastor. And he asked this young girl. She's about 24 years old. You don't see her face, and there's a reason for that. But he asked her, he said, uh, why do you want to be baptized? And she said, I want to do everything that Jesus asked me to do. And he says that I need to be baptized. His word says that. And so we baptized her. The pastor in the yellow was weeping. And I went over to him and I said to him, his name was Tony, 
I said, Brother Tony, I said, isn't this a wonderful thing? He said, oh, yes it is. But here's why I'm weeping. I know the village that she's from. There's only one or two believers in that whole village. She's one of them. If they find out that she's been baptized, they will rape her. They will take her and hang her by her hair in a public square and then eventually hang her by the neck. And her commitment and the joy, I'm telling you, I have shared this picture literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of places around the U.S. Because I'll never forget the joy that she had knowing what would happen to her if she got caught. But her obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we, as we finish today, I have to ask you, are you a follower of, you're a follower of Jesus? I'm not asking you if you're a Christian. In the Muslim world, that's not what they ask. Because they've seen people who say they're Christians. But they also have seen them being very compromising in all the things that they do. But if they find out you're a follower, that's the word that they use. Oh, they're followers of Jesus. They need to be put in prison. So I'm not asking you if you're a believer. I'm asking you, are you a follower of Jesus? And, and my purpose today is not to make you feel guilty. It's to make you think about your relationship with God, your commitment to his word, and to think about praying for the, for the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters around the world. A great responsibility. And I believe God will be honored in your lives and your testimonies. For some of you, you'll be like my wife and I who at a younger age gave our lives to say, yes, Lord Jesus. I didn't get saved till I was 19. I was raised in an unchurched neighborhood. My parents didn't go to church. But when I got saved, I'm telling you, he changed me. And I'm thankful for a Christian wife our daughter and her and our son-in-law are missionaries in the Czech Republic. Our son is preaching this morning in a very small church in Springfield, Missouri. I'm thankful for what God has done in our lives over the years. And I, I tell you, I've just seen so many wonderful things of believers all around the world who have such a deep, deep love for Jesus and you could put everything they own in a little basket. That's all they've got. And they're happy. Happy in Jesus. And so I'm going to ask our brother. He's going to dismiss our service this morning. I'm going to be around here. If God's spoken to your heart about anything or if I can answer any questions for you, I want to do that. And, uh, and uh, I'll leave the rest up to your church leaders. Thank you very much for the time that you've given to me. You've been very faithful at listening.